0: Talks like an animal. Must be an animal. Come here, the animal. Talking animal. Talking animals Walks like an animal. Talks like an animal. Must be an animal.
1: Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and first I want to thank all those who donated last Wednesday or before in support of Talking Animals as part of the WMNF Fall Fund Drive. It proved to be a very tough time to raise money, and many programmers fell short of reaching their fundraising goal. I was one of those who fell short, not by much, fortunately, but I'd like to make up my deficit and help the station make up its fundraising deficit. So, if you didn't have a chance to pledge last week in support of Talking Animals, or maybe you'd like to contribute again, Please visit WMNF.org, donate via the tip jar, and in the drop-down menu labeled Direct Your Donation To, please select TLA, Talking Animals, so that your pledge is handled as you intend. Thank you. My guest today on Talking Animals is Ann Paul, an organizer of the Florida Birding and Nature Festival, a multifaceted, multi-day extravaganza happening October 20th through 23rd, that means obviously starting tomorrow, in and around Apollo Beach, Florida. Across those four days, the festival will present a brimming slate of activities and experiences including field trips, boat outings, seminars, keynote speakers, and, and Nature Expo. This heads up to an impressive gamut of programming ranging from seminars on fiddler crabs, let's say black bears, shorebirds, alligators, Florida butterflies, field ornithology, among many, many others, plus keynote talks by, among others, Dr. Carl Safina, MacArthur genius, grant winner, and author. We'll hear more about some of these and other aspects of Florida birding and nature festival when I speak with Ann Paul in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Later in today's program, I'll talk with Lori Van Brocklin, Marketing and Public Relations Manager at the Humane Society of Pinellas, which is holding a gala soiree called Pause for a Cause this Friday, October 21st. More on this a bit later in the show. Right now, though, let's talk all about the Florida Birding and Nature Festival with Ann Powell with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663 emailing dj at wmnf.org or texting 813-433-0885 this is ann paul on talking animals on wmnf good morning ann
2: hey good morning duncan glad to be here today
1: uh so happy that you've joined us here on talking animals and uh of course we're mainly here to discuss the florida birding and nature festival which we will of course but to provide some context, let's first find out a bit about you. When did you first become interested in birds?
2: Well, um, I was interested in animals from the time I was a little girl. I used to wander around the woods behind my house. Um, but I became particularly interested in birds um, around nineteen mid-80s. And um, because I got involved with field trips with the Audubon Society, I was living in Texas at the time, mm. and we had a really nice group and I started to go on the field trips and it just opened my eyes to a whole world I had been missing. so so that that was the beginning for me, and it's been a joyful world with bird watching and so forth ever since
1: yeah, well, I want to explore a bit more about that, but for you to have uh, sort of done this as a product of the Audubon society wouldn't you already be interested in birds who have been drawn to the Audubon Society. Originally I'm ch- trying to think about the the uh, order here. Seems like um uh, Yeah, I
2: guess I guess I was. Um the but but mostly I started out, you know, being interested in, in uh mammals. Uh-huh. And um but then I started to realize that if you want to study animals in the wild, you're a lot of time looking at um you know, um, motion detector cameras. Um, Mammals are mostly active at night. Mm -hmm. So if you want to study coyotes or raccoons or, you know, whatever, skunks, you know, armadillos, they're largely nighttime animals. And um, so you're looking at things like scat, you know, the poop. Mm. You're looking at footprints and you're, you know, so it's really finding out what they're doing is hard. But birds are up when we're up.
1: Yeah they, yeah they keep better hours for our purposes, right? yeah yeah,
2: yeah. and for those of us you know that that um, want to see what what an animal's doing, birds really offer that they're They're up when we're up. We can use binoculars to watch them as they go about their daily lives. Um, we can actually see what they're doing, you know um, as they collect their prey, um, we can look at their their body shapes and the plumages and appreciate that because they're so beautiful. And um, we can, you know, just learn more about birds without, you know, trying to guess from, from you know, footprints and stuff that yeah. are hard to see.
0: So, so anyway. what,
1: back, back in those, uh, I guess, early days, the 80s in Texas there with the Audubon Society that you mentioned, what was the first bird that truly enchanted you?
2: Okay, so I was... Um, late for a field trip, and I got to the preserve late, and the, and the Audubon people had already started up the trail. So I thought, well, I'll just catch up with them. So I started up the trail, too, and I came across a bush, and there was a bird in it. And I looked at it. I knew a little bit, so I said, wow, I think that bird might be a warbler. So I looked at it with my binoculars, and I said, oh, my gosh, it's black and white stripes in this little warbler that was you know, busy in the oak tree, uh, this right in front of me, about 10 feet right in front of me, he was trying to find little bugs in the, in the mix and creamy of the oak tree. And so then I looked in my book, which I had stuck in my, in my backpack, and there's a warbler called the black and white warbler. I had identified it all by myself. Wow. And I was just ecstatic, you know, so that, that was kind of, a lot of people say, what's your spark bird? And I guess that was it for me.
1: Oh, is that the term, the, the bird that really kind of makes uh, makes you kind of a whole different level of a uh, birder?
2: Well, it's not that you're a different level. It's all of a sudden, you're just fascinated. I see. And, and that was the one that, you know. So since then, every time I've seen a black and white warbler, I've felt to myself, ah, look, I can see it again. I can identify it. I love this bird. And I just enjoy Watching them as they go about their business, you know, um, collecting food from oak trees. I, w- I often do imagine the oak trees are going, oh, yeah, to get that caterpillar or get that little bug that's eating me, you know. Oh, yeah. So good. <laughs>
1: Well, so now we've got a show called Talking Animals where we're talking about talking trees. I like this very much. That's great. But um, <laughs> so and I also assume, ever since the uh, the encounter with the black and white warbler, that you've sort of made a point of not being on time to uh, to birdwatching sessions since that proved fortuitous. Well,
2: I, that was that was a wake up call to me to wake up early and be there early.
0: Ah, okay. Because
2: I didn't want to miss anymore. You know, I wanted to be with the people who could help me by t- showing me the birds and helping me identify them and helping me understand why this, you know, the Florida scrub jay is different for instance than than the blue jay exactly what is it about their behavior and their form and their and the way they live that makes them the unique species that they are. So, you know, I wanted to hear the experts and that's what we're offering you know, this weekend with the Florida Birding and Nature uh, Festival, we're offering a chance for people to get out. And with the experts, the actual managers in many cases of the lands that we're visiting, um, and uh, some of the best experts in not, not only Florida but in the nation are, are helping to lead our field trips.
1: Yeah, no, so, it sounds really exciting. We're going to get into the specific programming in just a moment or two. But um, I'm curious, though, so what – What sort of marks someone's official entry into birding? Like, you're you're interested in birds, you have binoculars, you get excited, but are are there certain attributes or accomplishments that constitute, like, okay, this person's now a birder, or is it sort of just uh, a little bit amorphous in that way?
2: I think it's a a, a self-awareness that all of a sudden you're really enjoying, you know, watching birds. But but I, I also think that when we look across the, the group of people that are interested in birds, everybody is on some kind of um, level of the bird learning scale. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, whether you're, I remember I had a professor once, he was in economics, and he said, you know, if birding's no big deal. There's the robin, and then there's all the other birds. <laughs> so um, he was really limiting himself. I felt kind of sorry for the poor man. But, yeah. Um, because when you start to really notice the birds, we have over 500 species, for instance, that either live in Florida or migrate through or spend the winter here or it's summer here, you know, and that's a, a wide variety of really special opportunities to experience and enjoy nature. And all you have to do for it is get out and watch, get out and look. Um, binoculars will really help, but, for instance, if you're interested in the Heron Negrets, you can watch them. They're big. You can watch them. You don't have to necessarily have binoculars. I do recommend to people, though, that they get the very best binoculars they can afford. And um, that's one of the advantages of this festival, because we have binoculars companies, experts who are going to be here with their wares, and you get a chance to Pick them up and hold them and feel how they feel in their hand, in your hand, how they fit on your face, what's the balance, you know, what's the trade-off between the cost and, 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 you know, what you can really see. All of the binoculars will be really good. Some of them are spectacular. And when you have the opportunity to see the bird's plumage and maybe the color of the uh, skin around the eyes, the color of the legs, it just leads to a greater appreciation for nature in general. It's, it's just so much fun.
1: Yeah. So, in your case, when, when did you realize your love for birds? And, and you've talked, you know, about that was sort of preceded by just a general love for, for animals and, and I guess wildlife. Um, when did you sort of realize the love for those things could represent a, a, an academic path for you, maybe even a career path?
2: Well, um, I was fortunate because it did represent a career path for me. Um, I came, when we moved to Florida in 1990, I went to work um, as a volunteer at first and then um, for the National Audubon Society. And um, they took me on mostly because of my enthusiasm and my interest and, um, you know, the fact that I was Available and and could work for very little money at the time, but um, it did lead to a professional full time job that I enjoyed for twenty nine years before I retired a couple of years ago. So and and I continue to be very active in the in the ornithological world, if you will. I'm currently president of the Florida Ornithological Society. I'm you know working with the Bird and Nature Festival here. And Tampa Audubon voted me president of their chapter. So I'm just really enjoying, you know, the the, the bird aspects.
0: But yeah.
2: I just want to point out that the, this is the Birding and Nature Festival. You know, we recognize, and and uh, I think if you ever get to go on a Audubon field trip, it's not just about the birds. It's about the other animals that we see, whether they're turtles or alligators or snakes, or dragonflies, or butterflies, or just talking about the plants. It's, it's, um, the birds are part of the ecosystem, and that's really what we're focusing on with the Bird Bird in Nature, Birding and Nature Festival.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's uh, as we touched on briefly in the introduction, it covers an incredible amount of ground. And, yeah, uh, birds obviously are, are certainly well represented, but there's a lot of other things. I think I mentioned uh, fiddler crabs and black bears and gators and all kinds of stuff. So um, let, for the, for those listening, though, and who aren't birders, or at least aren't birders yet, um, describe maybe more uh, almost as a an appeal or a pitch kind of, what you love so much about birds after a lifetime of living in Maine, what what are the non-birders missing in your view?
2: Okay, so this is such a a good topic, and we could talk quite a long time about this. Um, What you're missing is a sense of joy when you see a species that you've never seen before. Also, the great appreciation that you might have just looking at a bird that you're really, really familiar with. I mean, the, I was just recently looking at, a, at blue jays with my binoculars, and I realized that the blue on the blue jays is multiple different shades of blue. And that, I had not really appreciated that before. I was looking at tufted titmouse the other day, and they have a beautiful kind of a rusty orange wash on the lower abdomen. And a little black stripe near their beak on their, you know, what is essentially their face. So you start to pick up details and it's, you know, it's, the details are so beautiful when you see these birds. If you've, if you've ever seen a spoonbill, um, from a distance, you may not realize that the adult birds, you can tell the adults from the young ones because the adult birds have this red wash across the top of their wings. The ornithologists call it a carmine drip because the feathers seem to drip off the top of the wings, mm. whereas the young birds that that hatched out last spring but are now flying in part of our our e- ecology we get to see them once in a while around when when we're for instance at the coast or something you know they don't have that red splash yet they'll have to be four before they have that, and so those kinds of things are fun to know, yeah you know. It's just, you know, it's fun to know this stuff, and it, and the other thing that's really true for me is I'm essentially never bored. You know, I can be waiting for someone, say at a, um, maybe I'm supposed to meet somebody, you know, at the Walmart, and so I'm sitting there in the parking lot, and I'm watching the grackles as they they strut around and find you know bits of food or feed their chicks or. Or, or, you know, um, it display to a female grackle, or there's a house sparrow there feeding its young. You know, I mean, yeah. just, there's so much to watch. Just, you know, when you're tuned in, you know, <laughs> remember when we were little and we read Sherlock Holmes? Yeah. And Sherlock Holmes talked about, you know, you have to look at the details. So once you start to appreciate what the details are, then it opens up a whole world of exploration that you will never hit the end of. And this is something that's crazy. When you when you visit with professional ornithologists in the state, they're just as fascinated about the birds because we will never know everything there is to know about any single species. And well, bird watchers... General people like you and me when we're out, because I'm, you know, not professionally trained or, or anything. I'm just a, sort of a, an enthusiast. But we can see things that no one knows about almost any species that is flying and walking around our planet, you know, that no one else knows. And we can see that and enjoy it and then visit with other people and they go, oh, I didn't know that yeah and there, there you are
1: <laughs> well and also I think you really captured kind of the sense of wonder and enthusiasm and and, and passion really when you said uh, initially to my question about what what non-birders might be missing so you mentioned on the one hand seeing a species you've never seen and and almost in the same breath you talked about seeing a blue jay that you of course are super conversant with but seeing it in a totally different way and seeing some kind of detail that you previously had never seen, even though you've seen so many blue jays. So that really covers quite, a, quite the spectrum.
2: Well, and I think that's what we're going to be talking about when we go on these field trips, you know. But, but a number, you know, at least two of the field trips, they're not quite as much birding as they are habitat enjoyment. Um, for instance, the Gibbons um, Preserve field trip is really through an old-growth forest. That's on the border of the Alafaya River, and to be able to walk through and see oak trees that you can, you know, cannot really put your arms around because they're so big and giant magnolias and so forth. That's more of a habitat trip. Yeah, you can see some birds, I think, but but the the point of that is to really appreciate what was this part of Florida like before we had you know um, townhouses and buildings and. You know, condominiums and shopping centers, you know, sort of as much as we do. And and then another one, another of the field trips that's just fascinating is the Frog Creek kayak trip. It starts out near Palmetto in the freshwater portion of Frog Creek, which is an actually an undeveloped, you know, natural shoreline creek as it runs down into the lower Tampa Bay, into the estuary. So, you paddle down and you're seeing things like leather ferns and, and the and and um, sawgrass along the side of the creek. And then you all of a sudden you hit a point where the sawgrass and the leather fern uh, drop out, and now you're seeing black brush. And it's because you're at that juncture between the salt water that moves up with the tidal currents and the freshwater coming down the creek. And then further down continuing through mangrove tunnels and then out into the more open portions of the bay where there are oyster bars and so on. So it's a really it's a habitat trip. Yeah. Or, and and there will be birds along the way. Sure. But but it's just to to explore that habitat in what is truly pristine condition with Randy Reynolds, who is the aquatic preserve manager for the Tampa Bay area, works for the Florida Department of environmental protection, and the wealth of knowledge that he brings to that role is just large. So to be able to have that time with him and to experience it for yourself, that's really, really neat. Yeah. And that's the kinds of things that we're offering. You know, um, many of the field trips that are, for instance, the ones that are going to Fort DeSoto are being led by two of the well, actually three, of the best birders in Florida. And we're sending along Clay Taylor as well. And he is one of the best birders in North America. He's here because he's um, the representative for Swarovski Binoculars. But this is just a chance to be out in the field with, with some of the most spectacular you know, people who know so much. And the, and the fact is they're willing to share their knowledge. In fact, they love sharing what they know about the birds with, you know, people who, who are learners. Yeah. And a lot of people who go on that trip will be well-versed, but they'll be beginners on that trip, and this, this makes it fun for everybody.
1: Yeah, so, I was going to ask you, in fact, if uh, back to, to the birding side of the coin, uh, to what extent uh, the festival was well-suited for, you know, beginning bird or is it really kind of geared more for at least slightly more experienced uh, ones?
2: It's really suited for for literally everybody I think well i I just have to say this about me personally okay I never go out on a into the wild into the habitats of Florida that I don't learn something you know and as a as a beginning birder you know the the options are you're gonna pick up a lot yeah um, as an expert birder you're gonna pick up things that have real, real meaning to you. And yeah. um, I'm also an extremely slow learner. <laughs> I think I might be very, very stupid. But
1: Okay, quit your bragging, Ann. That's, that's something there. <laughs> but, uh,
2: but this is the thing. When I when I experience something, sometimes I'll have to experience it two or three times. I'll have to see, for instance, one of the shorebirds. I mean, I've studied the books on them. I've, you know, I've studied and studied and studied them. And I still learn something every time I go. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there is no end to what we learn when we're out in the wild. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things that we're learning, and and you know this, Duncan, um, the fact that you have this, this radio show, says that you do, is when we're with animals or when we're out in the habitats, that we are fortunate to experience here in this West Central Florida area, there's something that's that's intangible but seriously important for our psyches.
0: Yeah. You know,
2: you can feel the tensions of your life just sort of drop away, you know, when you're looking across a marsh or, or say, a seascape or even being in a forest where you can hear the birds calling so there's just it's really special yeah. to be out in nature and all of us should embrace that regularly and make effort to to you know help help our souls you know deal with uh, daily stresses
1: yeah well just just the Relaxation and kind of nourishment of the soul and stuff that you just described there would be, it seems like reason enough to, uh, to want to, you know, participate in this festival. Let me, by the way, in fact, we'll mention this a few more times during the course of our time together, but let let me just mention that the website is florida org. Lots of information and, of course, the schedule of, of the, uh, field trips the seminars the keynote talks i mean all the important things that are going on is all laid out there and that's a great way depending on you know how much time you can devote to to the um the days the festival takes place like trying to figure out your time and uh um you know, make make plans accordingly. This is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you did just tune in, my guest is Ann Paul, one of the organizers of the Florida Birding and Nature Festival, a multifaceted multi-day extravaganza happening October 20 through 23 in and around Apollo Beach, Florida. And again, presenting field trips, boat outings, seminars, keynote speakers, Nature Expo, and more. So if you have a question for, um, uh, for Ann... Uh, you can call 813-239-9663, email DJ at WMNF.org, or text 813-433-0885. So, uh, yeah, we just got, I just, uh, sorry, I got sidetracked. I read an email that was sort of actually in real time saying kind of what I just had, which is that the uh, the festival, of course, is is this uh, this weekend, starting tomorrow, really. So it's even before the weekend, October 20th through 23rd, in and around Apollo Beach, and one more time, the website, which we'll come back to multiple other times, is simply florida birding and nature festival dot org so let's talk about a few more of the uh the festival um offerings uh, I mean the schedule is so sprawling across f- those four days there's no way for us to of course cover everything but one thing that that um that caught my eye well there's just so many things is uh, happening tomorrow It's seeking Florida's special birds um that's a field trip. And tell me what that means.
2: So um, we've hired a bus, and it's a bus trip that will go across central Florida, and they'll be looking for things like Crested caracara, you know, the whooping cranes that are still in that area from, from the uh, effort there to introduce an experimental flock here. Uh, they'll, be, they'll be looking for uh, sandhill cranes and, and uh, snail kites some of the, the birds that that people um, would have trouble finding, except that they're going to be going with Dave Goodwin and Jim Eager, who are just fantastic birders. And um, Dave and Jim told me they went out and scouted the it, the trip this weekend so that they know they can get to all the places they want to go. Um, red-cockaded woodpeckers, you know, it's just going to be, Sort of the rare species in Florida that people who are tuned into birds, particularly, will be coming to the state particularly to find. So, so it's a you know they'll probably see fifty to sixty species in the course of the day. It's an all-day field trip, yeah, and should be a lot of lot of fun. So, because they're pretty fun people to be with.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. Well, it sounds like quite an adventure as well. So, uh,
2: yeah. Yeah,
1: And one uh, thing, too, that um, just because we like uh, uh, we like all kinds of science at all kinds of levels, one of the, uh, the um, seminars I noticed is called Citizen Science. Uh, fill me in on what that involves.
2: Well, um, um, the speaker for that is Charlie Fisher, and he has been involved in a number of uh, opportunities where people... Can do bird watching and then turn in what they have found to, um, and, and then that information can be used to increase the knowledge about birds in North America and particularly the Tampa Bay area if they do it in Tampa Bay. But, um, what's going on with our birds? You know, so he's, he'll be talking about the Christmas bird count and which is held uh, across. The United States, Canada, and Central and South America, by, um, and, and people will be looking for the wintering birds in their area. And that's a great thing to be involved with. Or eBird, or, which is, uh, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, collects bird watching data from thousands of people on a daily basis and then uses it to figure out with their giant computers where the birds are. And so, that's pretty much fun when you're talking about migration, you know, as the, the big uh, um, movement of birds of North America slides south, to central and South America in the fall and then, and then flies back up to their nesting areas in the spring, you know, where are they? Where do they stay? Where are they going? You know, have they gotten to this part of the United States yet, Etc. It's really, really important data for the future of, bird management and so forth. So yeah. this is how people can, you know, you don't have to be the best birder in the world to participate in stuff that makes a difference in terms of knowing, um, being a, the information to be used by um, professional ornithologists to better manage birds. It's a, it's a great, it'll be an inspiring and fun talk, and Charlie's great. So
1: That's wonderful.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I also want to mention that we've got the Nature Expo at the. Um, we're going to be meeting at the Youth Conservation Center, which is down on Dickman Road in Apollo Beach, south of the Manatee Viewing Center, and um, we've got over um, forty. I think we're forty-nine different groups that will be having um, booths and and information to share, things to buy. As I mentioned, there will be binoculars, purchasing opportunities, but also um, wildlife art. And then the different organizations and agencies are also having tables. You could pick up a lot of information that, if you're interested in the environment, will really be fun. And then the uh, Little Red Wagon is going to be there, too, selling native plants. So if you're getting ready to work in your garden. This is a good time to pick up plants that will support butterflies and, and um, you know, other and, and hummingbirds and other, other birds and wildlife in, wow. in your yard. So that's, that's going to be, I mean, it's really quite, quite an, uh, an amazing uh, accumulation of, of uh, different uh, booths and, and activities that will be available.
1: Yeah. No. This seems like a just a gigantic, uh, uh, you know, undertaking and event. How many? How many people work on the festival, and, and how how much of the year is devoted to all the various preparations and figuring out programming and all the organization involved?
2: Well, we have a festival um, planning board that works on it. Um, we kind of take a couple of months off after the festival is over Mm -hmm. but then we start to think about it you know in the winter and um and then uh, we have really good sponsors so we ask them if they um for instance mosaic is a sponsor and tico is a sponsor and then also the um fwc the Florida fish and wildlife conservation commission is hosting our event this year and we have a lot of field trips to Hillsborough County's um, environmental lands, as well as we're going to environmental lands owned by Pinellas County, um, Sarasota. Um, we're going over to Polk County to some of their preserves, Manatee County. You know, we're we're literally in six counties wow. for our field trips for this festival. So, so and and we have the support of of all of those. Staff people and so forth. I think by the time we're actually doing the festival, you know, we've had participation, you know, volunteer participation from about five hundred people.
1: Oh my goodness!
2: It's kind of big, wow. you know. And um, you know, it's just really, really something else. And we're fortunate that um, we get that kind of help. This is this will be the sixth year that we're doing the festival. And it's bigger this year than than it has been, so
1: yeah, didn't it have kind of a a previous incarnation and then sort of faded out for a bit and then was revived or or reconfigured subsequently
2: that's, yeah we were the festival started over in Pinellas county um and it was supported by the county over there, and it did really well for seven years and then and then it you know um Due to various factors, it, it went dormant. But um, Marilyn Hett, actually, uh, who was working for Hillsborough County's um, economic development group, called up and said, you know, why don't you guys do the festival again? And so here we are.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: this is it again. But now it's in Hillsborough County, at least the, the central location is. Yeah, And so our, our seminars and our keynotes and the Nature Expo are all going to be hosted, as I said, by FWC's Youth Conservation Center in Apollo Beach on Dickman Road, just north of the elementary school, if you're familiar with Apollo Beach, and just south of the Manatee Viewing Center, if you know where that is. It's such a great destination.
1: That's great. Um, well, and last year, I, I remember there was... Obviously, for many things, many events, and just generally for people, there were still COVID concerns, uh, you know, of one level or another. So I think the festival then was kind of a mix of in-person programmings and, and lots of Zoom offerings, even even for the things that people did have the option to go to in person. How does that compare with the approach this year?
2: Well, again, we're being very um, careful with regard to the um, pandemic Issues and the coronavirus. So, Mm -hmm. so the Nature Expo is all uh, essentially outside, but in the shade. Um, So we've got a tent, and we're meeting. We've got the Nature Expo set up underneath the um, Youth Conservation Center's building, which is elevated due due to its location near the coast. And um, so, you know, in the open air where the breezes are. But people are welcome and to, you know, definitely wear their masks if they feel comfortable
0: Mm -hmm. You need
2: to do that. Um, And then our our talks are going to be in the classroom upstairs um, where we have enough space so people can spread out and uh, so on. So, of course, all the field trips are open air, all outside.
1: Yeah,
2: that's great. So, yeah, it's going to be fun.
1: So, again, this is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Ann Paul, one of the organizers of the Florida Birding and Nature Festival, which takes place October 20 through 23 in and around Apollo Beach, Florida, but really, as we've heard, really across in one form or another, across six counties. And the festival offers, as we're hearing, field trips, boat outings, seminars, keynote speakers, and more. So we invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or comment for Ann about the uh, festival or about any aspect of it, 813-239-9663. You can email DJ at WMNF.org or text 813-433-0885. So let's talk a little bit about the keynote talks, um, starting with uh, Steve Schunk. In his presentation, Woodpeckers, Florida's Keystone Carpenters.
2: This is going to be such a fun talk. Um, Steve wrote the Peterson's Guide to the Woodpeckers. So he is uh, a a national woodpecker expert. He's actually coming to us from the West Coast. And uh, he texted me a little while before he said, I'm at the airport. So he's coming in um, tonight. And he's going to be going on some of the field trips with us as well as doing the keynote talk. And uh, if you have his guide to woodpeckers, you know, you should come to the keynote talk and he'll sign your book for you. Um, woodpeckers are one of the, the really specially designed species on the planet to use the, the ecosystem where they are. And so there's a, a wide diversity of woodpeckers across the United States because the habitats vary. Um, depending on where you are, but it's really fun to hear about the different species, you know. um, How do they not get headaches from, you know, slamming their beaks against, you know, tree trunks and um, making holes in trees and stuff, and how do they nest, where do they nest, what do they do, what do they eat, you know, um, the different size woodpeckers eat different kinds of foods, um, and how do they use their tail to balance you know, so when they hop up a tree, they're actually spring off their tail to jump, ahead, you know, jump up a little couple of inches up the tree. I mean, it's all fun.
0: Yeah. He's
2: going to be talking about the physiology and the different woodpeckers, particularly focusing on our Florida birds, but I'm sure he won't be able to not talk about some of the other woodpeckers in the uh, in North America.
1: Sure. Well, he, he can't be limited probably, Steve, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, you
2: know, because he's in person, you know, people will have the opportunity to ask him every single question.
1: Yeah. You know, oh, that's great. Uh, it's exciting for, yeah. for him and for those assembled. So, uh, and the other keynote, uh, I guess we should mention, is Dr. Carl Safina. And his talk is Beyond Wild Thought, Emotion, and Culture in Birds and Animals. I don't know if you, I mean, he's a um, MacArthur genius grant winner and an author. He's been on this show here uh, a couple times. But uh, I don't know if there's any. A uh, sneak preview or a brief overview you want to give of what you expect his talk will amount to?
2: Well, you know, Carl is one of these genius conservationists who thinks on a worldwide scale, and his his um, books reflect that. He's a beautiful writer. Yeah, uh, he's written you know a book about tuna, the song of the blue ocean, and 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 seabirds, eye of the albatross, and Without words, I don't know if you've read that one. It's just really excellent about elephants and their communications, also wolves and orcas, you know, and and the tradition that the adult uh, adults pass on to their young, the knowledge base that makes it possible for them to survive in the wild, and and the fact that humans are impacting these animals everywhere they occur. And so those are the kinds of things he's going to be talking about. You know, the um, international conservation efforts. It, I'm really pleased to be able, that we were able to get the caliber of speaker that he is to our festival.
1: That's great. You know, we're,
2: a, we're a little festival, and we've got Carl Safina coming.
1: Well, at this point, I'm not sure how much of a little festival you are, just uh, literally or figuratively, just given the incredible amount of programming that's uh, that's again sprawling over four days' time, and uh, and then the nature of the folks that uh, that you have speaking. So, uh, yeah, it's great, Carl Savina, but but really from start to finish, this looks like an amazing thing. So whether people have one day or more that they can devote. Uh, if they if they uh, haven't had a chance to look into this again, I want to just repeat because we're just about the end of our time. And the Florida Birding and Nature Festival dot org is the website to uh, um, f- you know find out all about the uh, festival and see the schedule and see how you can sign up. And we're not able to talk about the prices of things here, but you can also find out the costs of uh, attending these things or signing up for these things, registering, etc. So. Um, so, Ann, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. Any last 30-second uh, thing you want to add before we have to wrap up?
2: Sure. I just want to say that, that um, the festival is reasonably priced. We're the, probably the least expensive festival of this nature in the United States. But I want to point out that the Nature Expo, with all of our booths and, and exhibits and so forth with that, is free and open to the public, and we really are encouraging the public to come to the Youth Conservation Center on Saturday, Friday and Saturday and see what's there because it's just going to be a lot of fun. We're also going to have um, uh, lunch trucks, you know, uh, food trucks there for oh, lunch, great. and um, the Italian ice guy is going to be there all day. Nice I so it'll be fun. I mean, it's fun.
1: Yeah, come. Well, oh, that's no. that's great. Okay, one more time. This is the Florida Birding and Nature Festival, and again, floridabirdingandnaturefestival.org to find out all the information you're looking for. If you just tuned in or if you've heard the whole program and you want to say, hey, I want to sign up for some of these things or how to get, get uh, set up for some of these seminars or field trips or keynotes, whatever they might be. So, Ann, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals and uh, good luck with the Festival song. It's just going to be an amazing time.
2: Thank you, Duncan. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. In a moment, I'll speak with Lori Van Brocklin of the Humane Society of Pinellas about their pause for a cause bash happening this Friday, October 21st. Shelter also has plans for building a new adoption center, which we hope to also touch on. That's coming up in mere moments. Right now, though, I want to thank uh, someone who did respond to our entreaty to help help uh, make up some of our uh, fund, fundraising uh, deficit here, and by which I'm referring to Florida Voices for Animals with a nice uh, $100 pledge in support of WNF and Talking Animals. And they want to remind people, again, that Tampa Bay Fest is back. It, again, speaking of COVID-related things, they took uh, at least a couple of years off. Um, but it's back happening November 5th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Perry Harbor Senior Park. That's at 900 East Scott Street in Tampa. And you can go to tampabayvegfest.com for more information. So that's always a great thing. We're speaking on lots of great programming and stuff. So thanks, my thanks to them for supporting Talking Animals and WMNF. And, again, if you didn't have a chance to uh, donate last week or you'd just like to help us, uh, again, go to WMNF.org, find the tip jar. And, uh, again, if you can earmark your, uh, your donation or it says direct your donation, to do please select TLA Talking Animals. So your pledge is uh, handled as you intend. So, right now, though, let's uh, get into the comedy corner. This is Jeremy Hotz with a piece called Bronx Zoo in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Is
3: there in the winter though? It gets cold. That's the thing about New York, am I right? Absolutely, freezing in February. I had tickets to the zoo. They were freezing so like an asshole. didn't went. Oh look at that tiger! Look how realistic he looks. <laughs> just like in the wild, frozen to the fence like that. <laughs> oh, horrible trip that was. The only guy there that day. I saw the elephant fart that day. <laughs> that was the highlight of my trip. this year. <laughs> Biggest ass in the world farting. You don't see that on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> it doesn't even sell like whatever it sells. It's like The other animals were running behind it to try and keep warm. And the tiger was going, point your ass this way, I'm stuck to the fence, and melt me off the fence with your huge hot ass. That's exactly what he said. I was there. I speak a little tiger, that's what he said. It was the funniest thing I ever saw. And then it hit me and it wasn't funny at all. It was an like elk and bark right in my face. I'm wearing the gas permeable lenses (laughs) so the image is burnt in my mind for all time.
1: That was Jeremy Hotz in today's Comedy Corner with a piece called Bronx Zoo taken from his album Lost Bird. Now it's time to speak with Lori Van Brocklin of the Humane Society of Pinellas, which is holding its Pause for a Cause event this Friday, October 21st. This is Lori Van Brocklin on Talking Animals on WF. Good morning, Lori. Good
4: morning, Duncan. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, thanks for joining us on talking animals. So first, maybe let's give us just a brief overview of the Humane Society of Pinellas. How long has it been around, and you know what's its main mission and so on?
4: So the Humane Society of Pinellas has been around over seventy three years um, in the same location. Um, our mission is to save as many homeless animals as possible. So we work um, with cats, dogs, rabbits, ferrets, guinea pigs. Um, our job is to take them in not only from a owner surrender, but also from our municipal partners. And our job is to find them the best homes we can. So big adoption program.
1: For sure. How many animals would you say are typically at the shelter at any given moment?
4: Well, right now we're under construction. So while we're under construction, there's probably... At least uh, anywhere between forty to sixty-five animals at any given time on the property. Okay. Normally, once when we're uh, when we have our new adoption center, it'll be a lot more.
1: Okay, great, and hopefully we'll circle back to talk about that. But let's talk for at least a moment or two about pause for a cause. It seems like a big event that's significant to the shelter, no?
4: Yes, absolutely. This is our big annual gala. Um, it's a great event. Uh, We turn it out. We have a cocktail and VIP receptions, dinners, silent auctions, live auctions. We have um, HSP alumni dog and cats visiting, adoptable dogs. It's just a great evening.
1: Wow. That sounds cool. So at this fancy gala, there are actually adoptable pets at the event?
4: Well, they come as our ambassadors, so they're there for the first couple of hours, and then if somebody is interested in them, we're open on Saturday, so they can certainly come down and adopt them.
1: And also, speaking of that, if I'm not mistaken, the very next day, you guys are holding an adoption event as well.
4: Yes. um, yeah. For most people who don't know, Subaru has a national campaign called Make a Dog's Day. So we are doing a big... Um, adoption event with our partners in crime here in the city, which is Fitzgerald Subaru of Clearwater. We'll be there Saturday. That's right on US 19 from noon to 12 p.m.
1: That's great. So uh, there's plenty of chances in the next couple of days or so to uh, to find and adopt a, an animal, it sounds like, either at the, uh, at the pause for a cause or at the event the next day uh, on, on the 22nd.
4: Absolutely. And I, I forgot to mention that you can still purchase a ticket to the gala. The tickets will be open through Thursday. The gala is actually at the Safety Harbor Resort and Spa Friday night, starts at 6 p.m. Um, that's the 21st. You can purchase a ticket on our website humane society of org, up until thursday about 5 p.m
1: that's great so there's still time and it sounds like it's quite a full evening 6 p.m to i think around 11 p.m if i'm not mistaken that's right yeah so there's cool stuff the pets we talked about cocktails dinner silent and live auctions and just sounds like a great evening and obviously an important way to help uh underwrite kind of all the activities that you guys do there at the shelter
4: Absolutely. Every dollar that we raise during the gala goes to helping every animal that is currently in our care, and then, of course, animals that we take in in the future.
1: Yeah. All right, so uh, we kind of gave a, a quick nod to this. Let's maybe take another you know, minute, if we uh, can, just to talk about the plans on the horizon for the new adoption center. Tell me about the uh, the need for the center and what the plans call for to fill that need.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, we've been around for about 73 years and never had a new building. We've been cobbled together. Um, they're not hurricane-safe buildings, so we always have to evacuate when we have a significant weather. The new adoption center is going to be fabulous. It's over 15,000 square feet. It's Hurricane Five rated. It's environmentally controlled. We have all sorts of playrooms for puppies. We're going to have a wag park for the dogs, which is a sensory park on the campus. We'll have catios where cats can do some free roaming, and we'll be able to almost double or triple the amount of animals that we can have on campus and available for adoption. And we're, wow. looking, we're just now in the initial parts of construction, so... We're looking towards the end of 2023 for the Adoption Center to open.
1: That's great, and I'm sure, I'm sure people listening who uh, may or may not be able to raise and get tickets for Paws for a Cause, if they wanted to uh, support this endeavor, they could also go to HumaneSocietyPinellas.org and, uh, and donate, the, uh, donate to the, um, the new Adoption Center that way, perhaps, right?
4: Yeah, absolutely. You can donate either on our website and, of course, on any of our social media feeds. You can donate right from those as well. Um, whether you're donating to help the new adoption center or just help for uh, to care for the animals that we currently are adopting. We're working all the way through the construction. Um, you know, there's always animals in need, so we'll be open all the way through the construction and uh, happy to have any help that the public can offer us.
1: That's great. All right, Lori, well, good luck uh, with the big event Friday night and the next uh, slightly smaller but important event Saturday and the ongoing efforts to... Uh, create this sounds like fantastic new adoption center thanks so much for joining us today on talking animals
4: thank you thank you duncan
1: thank you coming up on WNF the music kicks back in with scott elliott who i see is here and getting all set up he's on from noon to 3 p.m with glorious three hours of music and he's followed by, I believe, Jim Bannon today in for Robin with yet another three hours of great music. So we'll just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment is a prize for Name That Animal Tune. I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's Name That Animal Tune on WMNF and The Talking Animals. All right, we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Again, I hope you hit the tip chart to support Talking Animals and WMNF. Next Wednesday, my guest will be Duncan Forge, author of Flying Kai, A Pelican's Tale, an inventive novel that has a pelican at its center and um, features several talking animals as well. So that's cool. And this guy actually played a role in my name being Duncan, which we'll get into, I'm sure. Anyways, hope you'll join me for that. Scott's up next after NPR News headlines. This is Talking Animals on WNF Tampa, Brandon Largo, Wiki Watch, e and beyond. Thanks.